Louis Aldersan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Hey, you go. Sure wish you would. Give us a call. Give us something to talk about. There you go. Something to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Something else to think about? Something else to think about. That's right. (laughs) And generally, each week, we come up with some kind of a topic. Just a yak between the calls. And you're never limited to whatever we may be speaking about. Not at all. Anything might be on your mind, any kind of problem you are experiencing, you just give us a call. We'll try to help you out. Got all our lines wide open. Be glad to help you out. 291-6901. That's right. And if you should happen to miss your prime opportunity to live answer this morning, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form is going to pop up. Fill it out and hit the send button. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And we got an email this week that I thought was interesting. A gentleman named Michael Andrew Harrington wrote in, and he says that he listens to quite a few question and answer type podcasts. Uh-huh. And one thing that more or less popped out to him was that how many people in the general public think that going to a parts store and getting a code read is a diagnosis right that happens a lot a lot of people think that mistakenly and you got to remember these guys spend a lot of money to make you think that way simply because they're going to sell a whole lot of parts right it's not really a diagnosis a code is never a diagnosis a code is merely a starting point it indicates which circuit is encountering a problem. Correct. And that varies between manufacturers. Considerably. Yeah. And even different models on the same manufacturer. Sure. You, know, you may have an oxygen sensor code. Does not mean the oxygen sensor is bad. Not at all. I mean, it could be anything from a squirrel's gotten under there and chewed the wire in half. It could be the fuses out in the heater circuit element. It could be the relays out in the heater circuit element. It could be the PCM is out. Sure. It could be it's a misfire on the engine and causing the mixture to be off. It could be an exhaust leak. I mean, on and on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. It's and just the way that the engineer wrote the software. If you encounter these problems, turn this light on and set this code. Yeah, if this reading is supposed to read this and reads this, then say this. Uh-huh. It's just if this it's statement. Just software. Yeah, so it's not a diagnosis at all. And we're going to talk more about that. We've got a phone call. We're going to right. catch John. Good morning, John. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I uh, talked to you guys about two weeks ago regarding a timing belt okay. on my kid's Camry car. Okay. Uh-huh. All right, so here we are again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we did find out that it was a timing belt. Was okay. off. Mm-hmm. The reason the timing belt was off is the camshaft gear came off the camshaft. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That does happen. Have y'all ever heard of that before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Generally, somebody's been in there tampering with it. You know, maybe may have been 100,000 miles ago. Who knows? But normally, it's because someone's had it apart before. Okay. So is that is that all one piece, or can that gear be attached back to the front of the It depends shaft? on – Most likely, if the gear came off, it damaged the end of the yeah. camshaft. Very, very okay. unlikely it could come off without doing damage to the camshaft. So – Yes, you could replace the camshaft and the gear. It's a biggish job, and you still don't know if valves hit pistons or any of that. I would also want to look, take the little caps off the top of that camshaft, make sure the engine didn't possibly run out of oil and the camshaft seized up. 
which caused the gear to come off. So uh, you you know, there's lots of variables before you start spending a lot of money. I would yeah. kind of dig a little deeper, make sure the problem you're going to have on that one, John. If I remember, it was a pretty old car, uh, right? Year wise, yeah. to try to find a used engine would be another option. But see, any cars with that engine are going to be old cars. Generally, they're going to have two hundred fifty three thousand miles on a used engine. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. not going to hardly find a really good used engine out there. But Yes, I mean, there's a very tiny possibility the gear could be put back on, but I would say slight. Generally, when it comes off, it's going to wobble around for a while before it comes off. It's going to eat the end mm-hmm. of that camshaft up, and the gear is going to fit loose, so it's just going to come right back off again. In fact, that could have even been what happened previously, that it was left loose. Somebody went back and tightened it. It just lasted a long time, but yeah, you eventually worked its way back off. But make sure you can take the little caps off of that camshaft. Make sure those little caps aren't burned up and the cam didn't seize in it, because that will also mm-hmm. do the same thing. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm gonna tell you what, guys. The days of finding twenty five hundred dollar cars they're just about gone, yeah, man. They're over. It's long gone. Yeah, guys. I mean, yeah. you gone. find a twenty year old car with two hundred thousand miles, and they want five thousand dollars for it. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly. uh, we do a lot of used yeah. car inspections, and I am frankly amazed at what people are paying for used cars. But again, like they tell me. Hey, have you priced the new ones? I mean, it's still the cheapest option, but wow. I mean, yeah. I'm... Well, let me ask you. Okay, let me ask you your opinion because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking. I'm going to look at mm-hmm. a 2002 Forerunner with 235,000 miles on it, mm-hmm. okay, with the six-cylinder, okay. two-wheel drive, mm-hmm. okay? And it belonged to an older guy who had passed away. It sat up for six years. This guy bought it, tuned it up, went through it. Everything works. And then he said he had a problem. He thought the catalytic converter was plugged. Yeah, I wouldn't so doubt they, it. They removed the converter, and it was not plugged, so they put it back on. Okay. So what should I be looking at and or for on something like John, that? John, I think I would be real nervous for yeah. a car that sat for six years like that. I mean, I would prefer to try to find something else. I know they're hard to find, but I just yeah. would not want a car that's been sitting six years. The odds of long-term recurring problems are, are very high with that car. Okay. I, th- I think you'd be dollars ahead to just go ahead and get something that spent a little more. Yeah, had not yeah. been in that condition, and yeah. like you you alluded to earlier, man. I mean the the twenty five hundred dollar used cars are now ten thousand dollar used cars. Oh, without <laughs> without a doubt, with, with, without a doubt. And then if you find a two thousand dollar car, I mean it is there's nothing left. It is a, it's, yeah, it's a piece, that used know? to be called a parts car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know that I was know. in the junkyard somewhere, but. Yeah, they, they, man. I guess because the price of new cars. I mean, a cheap new car now is thirty grand, right. and you get anything yeah. with any kind of features at all, you had fifty grand. And it's hard yeah. to get one without the features on it. Yeah, you can't only get a, a base down model, yeah. a base model anymore. But yeah, yeah, it's people are getting to the point where they're just not going to be able to afford to drive anymore. You would recommend I'll not avoid that car, no? Because yeah. I mean, the odds of continuing problems are going to be very, yeah. very high on that car. You know, it sat for okay. a long time. A lot of things are gummed up. A lot of things are pitted up. It may be running right now, but I Who mean, knows? the odds are just way, yeah. way against you on that. I mean, you'd be yeah. better off to try to find something else or even if you had to pay a little more money. I mean, the transmission is yeah. going to be all gummed up, pitted up. I mean, it's just the wheel bearings, yeah. every piece of it. It's just been sitting yeah. a long time. I would avoid it. All right, gentlemen. I can't wait till I get these kids out of college. You oh, know? I tell you what, man, that's a, that's a cash hemorrhage yes, in Ball Hill, is. believe me. I don't know if you have yeah. any girls now. Wait till they start getting married. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got four. I got four boys. No okay, girls. well, you're all right, kid. <laughs> I, yeah. I had two girls, right, and let me tell you, they got married pretty close to each other. 
And uh, that that was a retirement <laughs> all by itself. <laughs> well, gentlemen, y'all have a uh, good weekend and go Tigers. All right, John. Thank thanks, you. man. Bye bye. Uh-huh. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one. You got to be a little bit careful as we say go Tigers because Auburn's also Tigers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, <laughs> go LSU. <laughs> that works. <laughs> you know, we were talking just a little bit about how people will mistakenly see a code reader uh-huh. or, or someone reads the code and they say well and they come in all the time so i already sure. know what's wrong i said well, what's wrong well uh it's got a code such 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 it's already been diagnosed well no it hadn't been diagnosed you just had somebody read a code right and while reading a code is a small part of a diagnosis what you're doing with diagnosis is going in and electronically eliminating all the possibilities rather than going in just changing parts hoping to fix something mm-hmm you know, we were talking just before the show about the same topic right. and how people at one time, that was kind of a viable way of doing something. Well, I mean, things were cheap. Things wore out pretty fast back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just say a set of spark plugs. Yeah. You were good to get 30,000 miles out of a set of spark plugs. Oh, yeah. They wore out. The engine started running bad. You threw a set of plugs at it. The wires were kind of old, so you put some wires on it, right. and it run like a champ when you got done. Well, and you walk out and, with a $25 yeah. repair bill. Same thing if you had some water leaking out the front of your motor. You look down, the water pump, you think that's it. You change the water pump. Well, the water pump had 80,000 miles. It's going to go out anyway, so you hadn't really out, but you still got the same leak. Well, you got about 25 bucks for a water pump. You did the work yourself. Right. And then you find out the thermostat house is leaking. So you pop a thermostat housing on there, and the total deal, you buy 40 bucks, and you got the car fixed. So that was kind of a viable situation sure the problem is now not only is it going to cost you literally a fortune because each one of these little parts is now four or five hundred dollars the likelihood of creating another problem is pretty high and you may not ever be able to guess what it could be i mean there's just it's like we've said countless times on the show you're gonna run out of money before you run out of guesses most definitely we get that all the time where folks will come in and there's a problem they can't duplicate maybe it's an intermittent problem and the first thing, well, could it be the yak, yak, yak? Well, well, yeah, sure it could. Or it could be this, or it could be that, or it could be this, or it could be well, that. And how, that many part, those, how many of those $500 guesses do you want to go through before we duplicate the problem and see what it is? Sure. And, so, and that's the thing with an intermittent problem. If you do find something that's wrong, you have to, to verify, you know, you have to communicate that to the customer. Hey, this is wrong. A problem. A problem. But it may not be the problem. Correct, because I so, couldn't duplicate it. Let's fix this. And I'll give the car back to you. Well, see if it comes back. Let's talk about an a intermittent no crank. You turn the key and it doesn't crank. Okay. You get the car in, you start it 200 times. It, it cranks, cranks every, every time. time. So you put an oscilloscope on the starter motor. The pattern is real funky on it. It's drawing 225 amps. It ought to be 175. Uh-huh. Well, we know this starter is bad. It will fail. I can't tell if it's going to fail today. I can't tell if it's going to fail next week or next year. But without being able to duplicate the problem. It's going to fail. But now, is that the problem you're having? It could be that the starter is bad, but the neutral safety switch is also bad. It could be the starter's bad and And the PCM PCM is bad. The security security system, right. So if I do find that, I can tell you, well, the starter's pulling way too much amperage. The pattern on the brushes is really erratic. I can tell you the starter's going to fail. It may fix the problem. Do you want to change the starter? And some people will say, well, yeah, if it's bad anyway, we've got to change it regardless. And they understand. Okay, mm-hmm. let's change it. Well, next week it doesn't start again. Okay, well, we've got to go back and see if we can right. duplicate it this time. You know, we fixed a problem, but we didn't fix necessarily the problem because if it doesn't do it. You can't duplicate it. All I can tell you is this is a problem. Now, the other side of that coin is 
we say, no, I don't want to do that, so let's just keep checking. Well, we could check and check and check and check, maybe eventually come to the point where you have a starter's bad. Uh-huh. Well, we already knew that. So do you want to eat up another four or five hours diagnostic time checking things? Exactly. Sometimes it's more prudent if we know a part is bad, even though we don't know if it's the only bad part. To go ahead and change that part. Go ahead part. and change it because we've got to eliminate this anyway. Sure. And it saves a whole lot of additional diagnostic time. We get into that what, like a misfire. It comes in. We know he's got bad plug wires on it because we can see the spark jumping. Well, do you want to go ahead and change the plug wires or do you want to keep looking? Sure. Because I may I mean, find other things, but we're going to eat up a lot of diagnostic time. Looking for something process. else that may not be there. We've got to take a quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Huh? Make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, and Mr. Brian Terry right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901, and we've got Rusty who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Rusty. How you doing, man? Doing great. Good morning. Hey, I got a question about since the weather turned cool, I got 2002 F-150, 5.4 liter. Yes, sir. I put my truck on heat. And then, you know, weather we have, but it's afternoon, it, it needs to go back to AC. Yes, sir. But what's happening when I put it on heat, it gets stuck on heat. And I know they got problems with the blend doors. They do. But it goes from heat, and I go through my different settings, and it, it changes to the different vents. Yeah, different modes. So yeah, that's a different motor. It just stays on heat. Yeah, it just keeps blowing hot air. See, you got four different motors and four different doors. You got your mode door, which is what you're talking about. That goes from defrost to vents to floor and all that kind of stuff. Then you've got your two blend doors, which is going to duck hot and cold to either side of the car. There's also a recirc door, which puts either recirculated air or fresh air. So it can still do part of it and not do the other. Generally, it's going to be something in the circuit with the blend door. Either the door itself is sticking or the motor is maybe bad or going bad. You know, Rusty, it's kind of like a power window when they start to go bad. It may still roll down, but then it won't roll back up. You know what I'm saying? Right. The door may open when you go to heat, but now it can't close. But what does it eventually go to it, go back to cool? I, I, if I Play shut the it. vehicle off uh-huh. and then start it back up, it, oh. it does. It swaps. Yeah, yeah. What it's doing is it's clearing the memory now. If it goes back immediately when you do that, it's less likely to have like a broken door or a bad motor. That sounds more like something in the control panel itself. You got a little computer that runs it all. So you're going to have to have a Ford type scan tool to diagnose that. There's, we've got a Ford IDS we can hook on. We can make the commands to see what's going out to the motors. Whereas you can't do it any other way other than having that type of a scan tool. 
it could be the control panel itself is not sending the signal. When you turn it off, turn it back on, you're rebooting that little computer so it starts working. Right. It's also just barely possible that the motor is sticking, but it's kind of less likely because the motor doesn't care so much about starting and stopping. You know, it, it just it's mechanically bound right. up, and it, it will eventually come back or may eventually come back. Same thing with a door. If it sticks, you'll turn it off and on. It's not going to fix it. So you're just going to need to get that to someone who has the proper tooling that can read it for you. And then if it is that control panel on an O2, I believe you can get a rebuilt control module because those modules were very expensive from Ford. I want to say seven, 800 bucks. But oh, oh. I think you can find them remanufactured in the 150 to $200 range. Okay. And, and there's a fair number of them out there because the car is getting older, you know. But I would get oh. it in, let somebody diagnose it for you because, I mean, there's always a possibility something stupid's happening. You know, the motor is just acting weird, and it is the motor. And some of those motors uh, are a bear to get to. Some of them are fairly easy. I think on the O2, you could pull the radio and stuff out and get to it, so it's a couple-hour job. It's not like a whole dash out. But you're just going to have to get it diagnosed and then see what part it is, you know, rather than trying to get. I mean, you could guess maybe it's a control panel, but, again, now you're going to blow a lot of motor and you're still doing the same thing. You know, a lot of money, and if it's still doing the same thing, and you're right back where you started. So I think it would right. be, be a I lot cheaper. It electrical. Yeah, I'm thinking there's something electrical the way it resets. Well, when yeah. it resets, I mean, if you just turn it off, turn it back on, it immediately resets. That just doesn't sound like anything binding or a bad motor. That sounds more like an electronic part that's rebooting. All right, I appreciate it. Okay, Rusty, thank you, man. Thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number to be part of the Automotive Hour. We'd love to have you. And that's kind of an example of what we were talking about before in that you could say, well, could it be the blend door? Yes, it could. Could. Could it be the motor? Yes, it could. Could it be the control panel? Yes, it could. Could it be something else affecting the control panel? Very possible. It could be another module on the network that's freaking out and the control panel loses communication. So you just don't know, and you could spend an inordinate amount of money switching out parts, and you could even create other problems. Because if you go and get a control panel and put in, it's not the right control panel for the car. It you just call, looks like yeah. it. Well, now you've got other problems that you've created. So when you go in to fix it, you've got to fix the problems you created Plus before the you original. even start to get to the original problem. Exactly. So the thing is, diagnosis is just electronically going in, with the proper tooling, the experience, the knowledge, and electronically eliminating a lot of possibilities. And that's where it saves you money. Like I said, the only reason to pay for a diagnosis is because it is cheaper than not doing it. Exactly. Right. Let's see. I got our phone lines lit up again. Is that Elmore? Yes. Hey, Elmore, what can I do for you this morning? Okay. I have an old bourbon. Okay. And Developing an oil leak on the oil pan, and I was wondering. I, I like to do my work myself. I yes, was sir. Wondering, would that be a major job? Is it two wheel drive or four wheel drive? Two wheel. Two wheel drive, not too too bad, Elmore. But make sure it is actually the oil pan because very often that gets misdiagnosed. It's really the cover around the rear main seal, and it runs down and leaks around the oil pan. But because the, that's higher up, it runs down. And, and gets, the, oil, the oil pan actually has a little lip bigger than the block. It's not much, but it's enough to catch that oil that's catch coming it down. And, and it runs it, it around. So right. The, re, also, the reason I'm saying that is because very often we get people come in with a brand new oil pan gasket and it's still leaking. And they just yeah. spend a lot of time in trouble. So just make sure where the leak is coming from. The easiest way is to get it up on a rack of some sort, clean it real good, and then watch and see where the oil comes back. If it starts at the back of the motor and then runs forward – 
more likely it's going to be that cover over the rear main seal or the seal itself. Now, unfortunately, that is out of the hands of most do-it-yourselves because you got to take the transmission out to get to that. And if, if you take the transmission out and the oil pan out at the same time, there is a certain way that oil pan has to go back on there. Or if you don't get the oil pan back on correctly when you put the transmission up, when you go to tighten the bolts that go through it, you break, you break the back of the oil pan break, off. Uh, back of the oil pan or break the transmission case. There's actually a tool to line them up. Now, if you're just changing the oil pan, you can, you know, the transmission will line it up. Right. When you bolt it back together. Or if you're just taking or the trans just take out. transmission out and the pan's there. But if right. you take them both off together, then you have to have this special tool to align it or it will end up breaking either the case or the pan. Well, okay, I, I did with them. They changed my oil. So they, they looked at it. They had it on the rack. They uh-huh. were leaking from the front. They said it was leaking from the front and blowing to the side. Well, if that's the yeah. case, now, you got to watch, too, Elmore. Just make sure they're diagnosing it correctly because there is a seal in the front called a crankshaft seal, Correct. which can also leak, run down onto the oil pan, and that's a lot less expensive than the oil pan. So I, I just want to make sure you got a proper diagnosis. Right. And the best way to do that is to go to them and say, okay, guys, you're saying it's the oil pan. If I let you change this, do you guarantee me the oil leak will be fixed? And if they start stuttering oh. and stammering and all that, well, then, you know, maybe you need to find somebody else to look at it. Okay. All right. All righty. All right. Thank you a lot. All right, Elmo. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And, you know, we were talking about that front seal leaking. Mm-hmm. And that seal, when it leaks, it doesn't just drip off the front of the, the motor. No, because it's being spun it's, by the harmonic balancer. It comes out and it gets on the edge of that pan, but it's not thick enough or heavy enough to drip off there. So it runs to the, the furthest, lowest point, and that's where it starts to collect drip on right. the ground. So you have a leak from the front to the back. Right. But it's... Like you said, it's misconstrued as coming out of the back because it's just a film running down the, the top of the oil pan mm-hmm. till it gets to the lowest point in the back of the, the engine, which is the oil pan at the back. Well, oil will always, or water or anything that's leaking, will always drip at the lowest point. Sure. Now, that does not mean that's, that's where, where the leak is. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, diagnosis and misdiagnosis, in that, let's say you've got a valve cover leaking. That oil is up at the top of the engine. It may run down the back, come down. Well, it's going to drip off at the bottom of the bell housing. Sure, that's lowest the, point. That's where gravity is going to pull it. And very often that gets misconstrued as a rear main seal leak. Sure. And it's a valve cover. Or maybe it's the block-off plug at the back of the intake manifold on the small blocks. Right, or uh, the oil pressure sensor. Oil pressure sensor. I have. We the, have seen those. The, the diaphragm lot. inside will actually rupture. Mm-hmm. And it will start leaking oil out of the connect the electrical connector and start running right. down. And it's going to drip off at, at the, the very bottom point. and be thought of as possibly a rear main seal. Sure. Hey, you got to take one more quick little break. Be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> But you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, with the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. 
Hey, welcome back. Just join us. The Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you have a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. That it will. There you go. Got plenty of time. It'll be Is it a question answer? answer whatever you may be interested in. There you go. There you go. <laughs> You know, the second part of Andrew's email, Michael Andrew's email, was about transmission flushes and how the public conception is that's the same as, as a, a transmission service. service, a real service. And, again, certainly it's not. He said that, from what he can tell, the general public seems to be convinced that just a transmission flush is as good or, in some cases, even better than a transmission service, which is 180 degrees from the truth. And where this misinformation comes from is that the folks who purport this stuff, put that out, have a lot of money. Sure, big companies. Bigger companies, the companies that make the flushing machines, the companies that use the flushing machines, all that tend to be bigger companies, and they've got a big advertising budget. Whereas the honest, hardworking technician in the field who knows all this is just garbage, total garbage, right? He doesn't have a whole lot of money to go out there and try to reach people. I mean, he has to try to reach them one at a time as they come into his shop. And, of course, the media, as we well know, kind of tends to form public opinion. Yeah. For for better or for worse. They tend to be in people's faces. They tell you stuff over and over and over again. And I remember reading up back before World War II and how this one person could have gotten his message out. And it says just the power of the media, the big lie. If you tell a big lie often enough and you tell it with enough conviction, people say, well, that couldn't be a lie. <laughs> That's got to be the truth. Got to be and true, so, yeah. So yeah. people just start to believe it, and, I mean, we end up with several million people dead. Of course, this doesn't amount to that amount of egregiousness, but the, the point is if you continually repeat something over and again, if you have the money to do that, to get it out in the, in the message, into the mainstream media – you can convince a lot of people, sure. and that's the problem today is that so much of the information you get, particularly with the Internet, because it's just a huge amount of information, but a lot of it is misinformation. It may not be totally wrong, but it's But it's skewed. not totally right. Yeah. It's skewed by whomever is sponsoring the site. Exactly. And you know, you know, that, that's been going on even before the Internet. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, look at your magazines and the products they're trying to push. Well, you know, the, the, the articles in the magazine flip to the back, and there's a, a advertisement. Yeah, full for page it. advertisement. I know I used to be a photographer at one time, and you'd go get these camera magazines, and they give this glowing review to this new lens, and then of course you'd go to the back of the magazine. Two there's yeah, there's ad, two page ad, and I've even been approached by some of these magazines. They'll say, "Well, yeah, we want to do a story on your company." Okay, great. What's the well? You got to buy three pages of advertisement, and then we'll do the story. And I'm yeah. like, no, wait a minute, this is kind of like, this is not news, this is pay for. Exactly. You know, you're just putting an advertisement piece. Now, I, I, no, I don't think, I'm not interested. But, yeah, you got to watch who's sponsoring, who's paying for the information. And that, a lot of time, is going to tend to have a skew of, of what's being said. Let's go to our final phone lines with James. Good morning, James. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 2500 GMC diesel, Okay. Uh, 2011, uh-huh. and I have to keep adding coolant. But I don't see a leak anywhere. Well, what, there, what kind of problem? There's any number of things that can be, James. I can tell you some of the most common ones. Number one is if the radiator core is leaking on it. What it does, the, the water, if, if it's not like a hole where it just sprays out, if it's just a fine leak like a crack, it'll disperse across that big hot 
surface of the radiator, the heat and the fan air blowing through it will evaporate the water before it hits the ground. When you turn it off, you no longer have that coming through, but again, the pressure goes down when you turn it off, so you may not see it. That's one thing. Another common thing is the water pump. If the water pump leaks, very often it will only leak when the shaft is turning. So when it's running, that big fan sitting there is blowing that motor back, excuse me, blowing that coolant back up onto the motor. The heat of the engine is evaporating it so it doesn't drip. But when you turn it off, it quits leaking. Just any number of things like that. It could be anything that is pressurized where it's going to leak going down the road and it's going to blow back. One other possibility would be like the heater core. The heater core can leak. The water is going to drip into the evaporator drip pan, and there's a little drain tube. That's where the air conditioner drips. So it's a little drain tube. It's going to drip underneath the car, and you may not ever notice it. It's also going to generally leak when it's running. So you're going down the road. The water's dripping out on the road. You'd never see it. I've seen a lot of those drains. They're actually poured out over the exhaust. And when In that, May. When that coolant hits the exhaust pipe, the exhaust pipe is four, 500 degrees, right. and it just evaporates it right off. It's right. not a steady. So if you're losing coolant, the point is it's leaking somewhere. It's just not easily found. It's just now, a matter of finding it. What we generally have had pretty good luck with is we pressurize. We have a pressure system we can put, bring the coolant pressure up to operating pressure, like around 16 PSI. Then you can inspect, and you can generally find the leak. Now, if you still can't find it, there are dyes that you can add to the coolant, and it will leave a dye trail. You won't see it with your eye, but it's a fluorescent dye trail. You put a special set of glasses on and a black light, get in the car, and you can see the stain where the coolant's been coming out. So something that needs to be found, because it's going to cause you a problem. When the coolant's leaking out, sometimes air's leaking in, which causes you some major corrosion. Also, James, I don't know if you would do this or not, but the absolute worst thing you can do is to use water to top that system back off. City water. Yeah, any kind of water, okay. because you are that's the most common thing people do. They take and put water in the radiator. Well, what that's doing is diluting the coolant protection, of the, the corrosion protection of the coolant which will make the problem far, far, far worse. So you have to get pre-mixed Dexcool on that one and add that to you can get it fixed. Even much better plans to get it fixed right away as, as soon as possible. Okay. All righty? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right, James. Thanks for calling, man. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And we see that a lot where something is leaking and people can't find it, so they tend to ignore it. Mm-hmm. We had a gentleman who had emailed earlier in the week, and he said his red brake light comes on when he hits the brakes. Okay. And I told him, well, it's probably low on brake fluid. And so he calls back or emails back and says, yeah, that was it. I got it fixed. I put, I put some fluid and lights off. Okay, Tell but him, wait you don't a minute. Fixed. Where did the fluid go? Right. Where did the fluid go? Because you may not see it. It could be the master cylinder leaking into the brake booster. You sure. won't see that until you take the master cylinder off and look inside. But you have a very big problem brewing that's going to get progressively oh, be worse. worse. Much so, worse. Yeah, you have to always find the root cause of the problem and not just address the symptoms. Let's go back to our phone lines with Jimmy. Good morning, Jimmy. Hey, good morning, Louis. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I've got a, a 08 Nissan Xterra mm-hmm. uh, with a six-cylinder engine in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I really love the little truck. It's doing it's servicing me good. And uh, I was just wondering, it's got 140,000 miles on it. Do you think I need to be preemptive and uh change the water pump on it things go out regular. i think it's driven by the time and chain if i'm not mistaken no that one mm-hmm. is on the outside you can get to it without going into the chains or the, or the belts or any of that stuff you know on a case like that 
It's where easy it's, enough to get to. It's fairly easy to get to. I would probably just wait for signs of it leaking because rarely does a water pump catastrophically fail. Normally, it'll start to either leak or make noise or something. It'll give you some signs. And if you're under the car, working on it, looking at it, inspecting it fairly regularly, you can generally spot a leak before it's going to really be a major problem. You know, there are some cars where I would say yes. If you had a car that the water pump was driven by the timing chain or timing belt, then at 100,000, 140,000 miles, time belts do anyway. It's foolish not to change the water pump because you're right there. And if it locks up, it's going to throw the time belt off and ruin the engine. But this is not the case with this one. It's on the outside. It's fairly easy to get to. I think I would just keep an eye on it and wait and see if and when it starts leaking because I have seen some of those go to life of the vehicle. Right. Well, I just uh, really, I thought this one was driven by the timing chain. No, no, I, it's on the outside. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll just look for a leak then. There you go. All right, Jimmy. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number going part of the automotive hour. And that's an example of two different pieces of advice you might get based on two different kind of vehicles. Mm-hmm. If you tell me you've got a Honda Odyssey with a 3.5 and you got 140,000 miles, should you change the water pump? Absolutely. By I all mean, means, if, because all the labor. timing belt already passed due, mm-hmm. and you got to change the timing belt, and right. the water pump's right there. And the labor's to get to it. Right. Most of your labor you're going to spend is to get to the, the timing belt. The pump's right there. Right. I mean, it, it would be it would be just ridiculous not to not do it and to. change it. But now, let's say you've got, as this gentleman, a Ford, uh, excuse me, a Nissan, uh, Nissan Xterra, or let's say you have a Chevy pickup truck. Water pump sitting right there on the right front. Right there on the front of the motor. You it's get easy to, to it easily. It's not likely to have a catastrophic failure. I would start to inspect it a little more sure. carefully, a little more often. I would take and put my hands on the fan if it has one and check, make sure there's no slack in it. I would listen for noises. I would pay close attention to my coolant level if it starts to go down. And I would preemptively change it if it's leaking or if it's making noise or if it's getting loose. But I would not just go in and change it. Number one, it's kind of a waste of money. And number two, there's nothing to say that the pump you get is, is better than the right. one you're taking off. Yeah, we, we've actually seen some not even come out the box. Right. I mean, if you're buying an original equipment Nissan pump, then it's probably pretty good. But if you're going with an aftermarket pump, it may not be as good as the one you're taking off. So you may be may doing a disservice. A, and creating a bigger problem. Well, we had that not too long ago where a gentleman, had, he was saying, I've got 100,000 miles in my vehicle. Should I change the shocks? Uh-huh. I said, well, is it riding? Is it bouncing around? No. Is Was it, it making noise? Right. No. Is it very stiff ride? No. Well, then I probably wouldn't change them mm-hmm. because if you do, unless you're going back with a very high-quality shock absorber, and that's almost hard to find these days. Well, and that's what most of the trucks are coming with now. Right. A lot of them come with a very good part they on do. there. And in most cases, I would go back with the OEM part or one of the known good parts. But let's say you've got a Ford truck well those parts the original part is just really junk i mean uh-huh. I, don't, I don't even use those i would rather an aftermarket part to those right so you kind of kind of know a whole lot and just going in changing them if they're not giving a problem does not necessarily mean you're getting better you may be getting worse than you had before we see it quite often absolutely let's see who we got on line okay we're going to line one we got tom online good morning tom Hey, good morning. Look, yes, sir. You bet. Uh, yeah, got an 06 Dodge uh, with a 59 Cummins. With okay. 330,000 miles. Yes, on. sir. And, uh, I got some blow-by uh, going on, Lewis. Pretty good amount of blow-by. Mm-hmm. I was wondering where could the blow-by, I know there's several areas it could be coming from. Well, and, uh, most common with that high a mileage, Tom, would be the, the rings are probably getting worn in it, and so compression is leaking past the rings. 
pressurizing the crankcase, and that's what's causing the oil to come out. I mean, you can check that with a compression test pretty easily. You do have to have a diesel-type compression gauge because they run, you know, a regular compression gauge, you'll blow it up because it's got so much compression. But what you do is a wet and dry test. In other words, you test it first dry. That means just a standard test. Then you add a little bit of oil to each cylinder and test it again. And that oil will temporarily run down and seal the rings. If the pressure rises significantly between the wet dry wet test and dry test, then you probably into an engine ring problem. And, you know, that kind of mileage, that could be pretty likely on. I mean, it could possibly be some other things, but that would be the most common thing. Yeah, it's in a one-ton truck, and the, um, the truck's got all kind of power, and I get 25, 26 miles mm-hmm. a gallon on the mm-hmm. highway. I'm yes, sure. It's doing fantastic. Mm-hmm. But uh, on that test, injector, the injectors have to be pulled, right? Not pulled, just disabled. Normally, I think when they test compression on diesel, and I'm talking a little out of school because I don't work on diesels, but I believe they go through where the glow plugs yeah. are in the engine. I think they take the glow plugs out and it screws into the glow plug hole to test compression. Okay. Now, they can also do what they call a cylinder leak down test, which is kind of similar. They pull like the glow plug out and they put air in the cylinder and see where it comes out. Right. It's just right. a little, little more involved, a little more expensive test, but it'll it'll yeah. tell you the same exact things. Okay. Is there any instance where it, it could possibly be some of your injectors causing a, par- a problem? Not a blow-by problem on that particular engine because the injector is strictly pumping into the into the cylinder. So right. it's no way for it to leak or, or cause excessive pressure in the crankcase. I would say most likely it's going to be the rings. And, again, you got to get to the point how big a problem is it because sometimes right. the fix is worse than the problem. You know, if you still got all the power you need and – so still getting, all, still getting yeah. good fuel mileage and all that. It's not really something you necessarily have to address. And there may even be some kind of a catch can system or some kind of a ventilation system that could be put onto it that would maybe alleviate the problems. You need to talk to a diesel guy about that. Okay. All right. Sure, appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. All right. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take our third quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodvich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, but for peace of mind, mind schedule an annual general inspection with agco automotive they'll check out your vehicle perform needed maintenance and let you know about future repairs sad ways there are no surprises well you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked a young girl once told me there's no place like home and i've got to go just bill me i'll be somewhere over the rainbow toodaloo That little bitch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Got a few minutes left. That we do, and should you happen to miss your opportunity to get that live answer, you can always visit the website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com, and there, hit that contact bar and send the form in. There you go. Couldn't be Real easier easy. than that. You know, when you look for things on the Internet, we're talking a little bit about misinformation, and 
You notice like when you go into a search engine, you type something up. Most of the things that come up first now, if you look in the top left-hand corner. Say ad. Ad. Uh-huh. And be very skeptical of the information you well, get on those because they are an advertisement. And a lot of times I've noticed I've looked for something that that company didn't necessarily sell. But mm-hmm. there it is. You know, we sell this because that's what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And you end up on the site as an advertisement. Right. So you got to take that with a grain of salt. Pretty much any information off the Internet is... Well, it's at least got to be suspect because you don't know who put it on there, what they knew, what they didn't know, what's right. their agenda, what's behind it. Or what was but, even the circumstance for the, the question. Right. But t- I guess basically if you look for something that they sell and they're recommending their fix. There you go. Well, <laughs> I would look at that a little more skeptical. Sure. You can take, like, for instance, our site, no advertisement, no sponsors. Most of the people who go to our site are not ever going to do business with us because they're all over the world. Mm-hmm. And if you go to my site, it's not going to have, we're not going to ever say, well, use this or buy this or do that. Right. We're going to try to give you information just like this show because we don't have a sponsor on the show. We're going to give you information. And that's a little different. And I'm not saying don't check out what I tell you. You know, get, right. get another opinion by all means. I'm just saying that. People who have no reason to sway you one way or the other, their advice means a lot more to me than a guy who with an agenda. Most definitely. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Lionel on the line. Good morning, Lionel. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Um, well, you know what kind of car I have, 2004 Grand Marquis. Okay. My AC is acting funny. i got to drive, I mean, when it's hot, of course, but mm-hmm. i got to drive three or four miles, and then it'll finally kick in. I tried to charge it, but... It didn't take any Freon. It didn't need any Freon. I'm just wondering what takes so long. And then it freezes you out. It's ice cold, but it takes a long time for the compressor to well, get the fir- on. Well, the what? first thing you're going to have to do, Lionel, is you're going to have to crank it up in the morning or whenever it's not cooling right, raise the hood, and look down and see if the compressor is turning or not. Because that's going to be everything between you – know, got two sides of the system. You have an electrical side and you have refrigerant side. If either side goes down, it's going to do exactly the same thing. It ain't going to cool. Okay, so you need to know, is the compressor turning? If the compressor is not turning, you need to know why it's not turning. Because the body control module controls the compressor, and if it sees something it doesn't like, it may not allow that compressor to turn until it gets the situation corrected. For instance, something like a low idle can keep the compressor from turning. Once the engine warms up a little bit, the idle stabilizes, then it will may enable it back on. And temperature sensor ambient temperature sensor if the sensor is wrong the computer does not know it's wrong if it says it's 30 degrees below zero all it's, it knows that's what the sensor's telling it it's going to cut the compressor off so it's not going to come on and it's not really necessarily going to set a code either because it's still getting a reading it from the sensor it's right it thinks it's it doesn't right know it's wrong now if the wire was cut or the sensor was open it would set a code and say hey we got a problem here this right. needs to be fixed but that's not the case you see so you got to first off determine do you have a refrigerant problem or do you have an electrical problem Okay, and well, you, when you I, do when that. I went to charge it, you know, I followed the instructions, mm-hmm. and the compressor was not turning. Okay, you know, I had everything on wide open. Okay, well, then you got to find out why the compressor's not turning. Sudden, pop, okay, well, there on. you go, there you go. You got to find out why it's not turning. With it not turning, if you can take a voltmeter and go to the two leads on it, you should have twelve volts between those two leads. If you got twelve volts there and it's not turning, then you got a bad clutch on the compressor. If you do not have 12 volts and you got to trace it upstream and there's about 300 things it could be, 
but you have to do some detective work. The you've already done the absolute worst possible thing you could do, and that is try to squirt some more freon in it. That's the worst possible thing you could do. There's no way to charge that system without vacuuming it out and putting the right about back by content. That's the only way to do it. None of those charging kits will work. Most of them will end up tearing up the system. So and a lot you, of them you have can't, you can't just keep on throwing darts at the board hoping to hit it. You know, you have to get it checked or check it yourself and find out what the problem is and go after the problem. I got you. All righty. Okay. I All was right. just wondering what was causing that. Yeah. Thank y'all. Okay, okay Lionel. Right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. There you go. And, you know, that's – I know people just want to do something. Sure. It's kind of like ready, fire, aim. You can you, you create jump the gun. way, way, way more issues. Oh, most definitely by trying to add more refrigerant. Well, we had a fellow who came in not too long ago, and what was happening is that the cooling fan was bad, so it was building too much head pressure, cutting the compressor off. Well, he put some more refrigerant, ended up blowing so the compressor up. Yep, so sure it did. So it caused way more problems. I see we're totally out of time now to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, and find a written review for us. Yeah, fill it out. That'll move us up in the ranking so more people can listen. Also makes us real happy so we can keep on doing the show. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.